slightly out of sync, but I should be fine. I should be okay. <laughs> Yeah, and the reason why Summit isn't here is because he's ill, or he'd be here. Oh, yeah. No one wants to be seen when they're ill. I did it. Fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, so today, theology, religion, God, the whole lot. I've been wanting to do this video for so long because I read this chapter in my Stephen Hawking book. Can't find my book, but it's there somewhere. Oh, it's here. And it's called brief answers to the big questions and the first question is is there a god yeah and stephen hawking you know him being a theoretical physicist is a atheist he doesn't believe in god and he has a he has quite a simple explanation to why he doesn't believe in god which i will explain now but before we begin i think we should like so hamza you're muslim and yeah. omar you're muslim i'm hindu myself so all of us believe in god basically yeah yeah um but yeah it's good that they should know that um but yeah Wait, Hamza, do you do physics? Uh, no, no, I don't do physics. Um, yeah, you, it's fine. You'll probably have enough noise. So, you know what black holes are, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, usually what is believed is that as you get closer and closer to a black hole, due to the gravitational pull, you get faster and faster, right? Mm. So, as you get faster and faster, you travel... It's all, you know what time dilation is, right? So yeah. You, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's all, you travel slower in time as you go faster because of the certain distance that you're covering in an observer, observer's point of view. It's difficult to yeah. explain <laughs> yeah. um, English. But, it, yeah, it's a thing. So, on the principle that where there is almost an infinite, so infinite amount of um, gravity, because you're so fast, it's sort of a sense that there is no time to exist so you sort of relates that to the point before the big bang in fact there is it's an idea that there was nothing before the big bang so he uses yeah. a scale of time he ex he expresses that when gravity is so strong you know it's a very dense um hot sort of part like before the big bang right and because of that due to the amount of gravity due to uh, there not being any time before then because there is no time an event can't happen when there is no time oh and, i see yeah okay yeah and due to that sort of principle he says you you can't even define a moment before the big bang because there was literally nothing before the big bang because there can be no events where there is no time. Mm -hmm. So he uses that sort of scale of time to say that therefore God can't exist before the Big Bang and so on. Yeah. So that's the approach that Stephen Hawking used. I thought it was quite a simple approach, even though he's like one of the biggest sort of theoretical physicists that exists ever. So what yeah. do you think about it? Um, so might want to go first? Okay, fine. Yeah. yeah, fine, fine. <laughs> I'll, fine I'll go first. Um, All right, you go first. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting, but... I mean, what I would say first of all is, how does he know there's no time before the Big Bang? You know, like these are all speculative kind of like claims. Um, it's science. It's, it's sort it's, of laws of physics, I think. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. but the thing is, there's different understandings of time. He's just picked the one understanding, which is you know that it can't exist before the Big Bang. Well, you know, lots of philosophers have said that you know time has always existed. How does he know that time hasn't always existed? But simply, like the laws kind of break down because of you know, the fact that it's a singularity and all this. I mean, for me, it's not convincing just because you have to essentially prove 
It's, it's like a double-edged sword, right? You have to essentially prove that there's no time beforehand. And he's relying on that assumption to make his argument, which is fine. I mean, if it's true, then it makes sense. But how do you know it's true? Like, it's the same kind of double standard that they hold us to. So, oh, what's your evidence? I mean, I want some evidence to show that time didn't exist. And if that's the case, fine. But because he has no evidence, he's only... Because you well, past a certain point, you can only speculate. Like, obviously, you mm-hmm. can't go and see what's before the Big Bang. But I don't know. I, that's what I think. I mean, how's it? what do you think well just a response to your thing wouldn't his evidence be sort of the scientific principles and laws they'd use to set up that whole argument in terms of gravity being the thing that stops time from existing prior to that point so that, yeah. that's like the evidence they're using the empirical evidence that we have to hand is what is being used to show that time can't exist before the big bang therefore there's no need for a god yeah you see that's uh, again another thing because now he's using the the science so you know if you've ever looked at the philosophy of science i don't know if you know what this is right um so you know the, the philosophical kind of implications of of science so mm-hmm. there's this idea of the paradigm shift um if you look up someone called thomas kuhn um this is what he says and he says okay there's a there's this thing called a paradigm shift so the ideas of science change along mm-hmm. with t- along with the time that you're in so 50 years ago people would be arguing for steady state theory or 50 to 100 years ago people would be arguing eternal you know universe you know the universe has always existed there's always been a time and then just recently actually you know scientists are saying no there was a beginning there was a time at which this universe started whether that be a big crunch big bang big crunch big bang or simple multiverse theory i mean these things change so that understanding of his could change in 10 to 20 years i mean how what's to say that that's the fact and that is true right any scientific discovery or new scientific discovery could point to anything else, really. I mean, for me, it's just not... I don't know. The fact that it's an ever-changing... It. It's, it's not... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's... And it almost seems so simple. For me, um, my sort of argument, my way of looking at it is that with this argument, you're assuming that God sort of obeys phys- laws of physics, laws of science yeah. and stuff. How can you limit an omnipotent being to be that's, following rules. exactly that's also another mm-hmm. thing who says that god requires time in order to exist that's also another way yeah. to look at like who says that yeah. he's bound by time if he's mm-hmm. if i think we, i think yeah, i think yeah. sorry i think the main crux of the argument is not about the nature of god itself but rather is there a possibility that the universe could have existed without the need for a god so this is before we even get to defining what the characteristics of an all of the omnibenevolent creator is so I think the argument still holds in that sense because they haven't defined any characteristics of God or as being omnipotent, etc. Merely it's saying that with these set of rules that we have right now, yeah. is a possibility that the universe could have existed without uh, the need for a creator? And they say yes. So even though you are arguing, it's valid as well to say that, well, we, these rules can change, etc. And these aren't set in stone rules. As it is stands now, with that argument, if that argument is sound, then there's there's no need to speculate into where we could be because what we have right now is an argument that shows that there is no need for a creator. So, yeah, what do you think of that? <laughs> yeah, no, I was just going to touch on. Um, yeah, the argument could be sound, but the only that there's another like that's what I think one problem with it potentially. But if that's solved, you have to solve yet another problem, which is why does God require time in order to exist? Um, mm-hmm. I think he'd have difficulty answering a question yeah, yeah. like that, that because yeah. because yeah you you believe that god is 
you know, post-eternal, pre-eternal. He's always existed. You know, these characteristics mm. that mean that he's essentially created time. So he's yeah, before yeah. time, right? So I think, yeah, I think, sorry. I think, yeah, the, the, the discussion about the characteristics of God and this argument in, in particular, I think this argument has to precede the idea of characteristics only because this argument is dis- trying to disprove the existence of a creator, right? So we yeah. can't even begin to talk about qualities because we have to deal with this argument as an isolated sort of in- as isolated discussion, right? Because if you start oh. talking about personalities and characteristics that haven't even been... I, yeah. I, I get what you're trying to say now, which is you're looking at the creator first and not the properties. Yeah, I get what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah you're kind of looking at the argument itself first before you bring in but, any other okay. external properties that haven't been like proved at all within the sphere of this argument in particular. So yeah, yeah. in order to, to, to counteract this argument, you need to first discuss the realm within the realms of the argument itself. Otherwise, we go on tangents and then we don't actually discuss the issue at hand, which is which I'll, I'll go into because... You see, that's the thing, because when you say God, you've already presupposed characteristics. That's my point. You've already, once you say God... Okay, then just have... don't say God then, just say an omnipotent creator, um, or omnipotent... No, but we're arguing for, for God's... I don't look... I'm, I'm looking at from a perspective of a God, right? He's trying to disprove God's existence, not a, a fairy's existence. Do, do you get me? So if he's God, you've presupposed his, his uh, eternality, you've presupposed his omnipotence is etc so that's already been assumed and that's why the argument breaks down because you've made a contra- you've basically contradicted yourself you've, you've so, said but why god. but why are we assuming that because that's just what god entails like that's he's he's used god so he's answering the question is there god or not right mm. and he's arguing from the perspective of a theological perspective the, the perspective yeah. of um you know the religious side which is a omnipotent eternal omnibenevolent etc uh, etc et creator right and he's using that definition for his argument he's not saying oh a force or you know something he's just he's saying god and that's why his argument breaks down if he was if he was saying okay even if he was just to say is there a thing outside the universe well clearly it has to predate time i mean the the very nature of how the universe came to be yeah. means that he predates time if there's a creator if there's a, if there is a something right so it's just for me because of that he's, he's like he basically can't deal with that you, you can deal with yeah okay fine science you know if we be able to prove that it's true fine i accept that but the property that you've assumed is contradictory to your claim and that's why it breaks down i think um Yeah. Right. Okay. Cool. Right. Yeah. Whatever. Cool. Cool. So, Omar, you were you were saying something. Yeah. So we actually continued, but I'm going to just try and clarify again what I was saying. Um, okay. So, Hamza's argument is saying that you know we have to deal with the concept of the creator first before you get into the properties, right? That's well, yeah, what you're just, saying. Yeah. Just, just distinguishing the, the argument itself and then the yeah, discussion exactly, about what exactly. So, are. so my response was that you know um, once you've presupposed God's existence for the argument, you've presupposed properties, and therefore the argument breaks down because. If you've presupposed, oh, you know, God in the argument, which is what uh, Hawkins has done, then you're assuming that this God is supposed to be eternal or, um, you know, omnipotent, omnibenevolent. And so therefore, I would argue, therefore, that his, his argument breaks down because then the God's properties contradicts what you're trying to, to disprove. Do you, do you understand? It's kind of difficult to explain, but a God is already outside of time. So by saying that, oh, so you what he's saying in three-step process is this. God 
uh, if he exists, is, is outside of time, just by definition. That's the first thing. Second, there was no time before the, the universe began. Therefore, God cannot exist. So, one, so, as you can see, the conclusion isn't valid. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, okay, my response to, to this, um, this argument is, first thing is to establish is that um, cause and effect uh, does not require time. It's not, it's not um, respective to time. And what I mean by that is, take, for example, um, you're writing a sentence, you had a pen in one hand, and you're writing, I don't know, the cat sat on the mat or something. The pen is the cause. The effect is the words on the page. But they both happen simultaneously. So time is not an aspect that is not a sufficient condition for cause and effect in itself. Yeah. So when you introduce the idea that, that um, the Big Bang could have existed outside of time, um, it still doesn't negate the idea of cause and effect because the Big Bang is still something that is um, is contingent upon other things. Um, from what we know of the Big Bang, it, it is still a collection of particles, etc. Um, and that is contingent upon space and time. So you still have this uh, regression of uh, cause and effect. Thus, you still need a necessary cause. Um, and then, to long story short, that necessary cause ends up having to be an all-powerful omnipotent creator because infinite regression isn't a possibility i've, I've jumped a few steps but um the, the essence of it is that yeah um you still need a personal cause um personal being a, an entity with agency um to act outside of time um because the big bang alone is still a necessary no still a contingent thing that is reliant upon its its existence is still reliant upon other things so therefore you still have this causal chain Therefore, yeah, you still so, need God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, because, yeah, that's a good thing to say, because um, even if you reject cause and effect, right, and you say, you know, cause and effect doesn't exist outside the universe, fine, but dependency still exists. So what I mean by this is things depend on other things in order to exist, right? Um, what he's trying to say, he's basically, look, even if his argument holds true, somehow you have to either believe in cause and effect and even if you reject this, which is ridiculous, you have to, everyone accepts cause and effect. I mean, the only reason to reject is because you know they all lead to God, right? Um, mm. Right? So even if you reject cause and effect, the idea that the universe is not something that is eternal, it's, it came into existence. Therefore, it needs some, it's got, like Hamza was saying, particular elements of it show that it's dependent on something else. It's contingent, right? Dependent. And what is it dependent on? Mm. Well, something that's outside the universe. And therefore, by extension, you know, you, you derive that it's got to be some sort of creator. And that's what we call, as humans, God, right? Um, yeah. mm. So even then, even if his argument was to hold true, then what created... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Stephen Hawkins is a good try, but, um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's decent. But... <laughs> so... well, I think one, one interesting thing to bring up here in terms of cause and effect is uh, quantum physics. Um, so one of the things that people say is that uh, quantum physics is an example where you can have an effect without a cause, um, i.e. something can come from nothing. Um, and that's apparently been observed with quantum particles and the whole like Schrodinger's cat and all that, that something can be in the state of existence and non-existence at the same time. And people use that to suggest that perhaps things could have come from nothing at the very beginning of the universe if you take into account these laws, these quantum uh, laws of quantum physics, basically. So what do you guys think about that? Dennis? Well, the physics of it, of course, is the way it works is that 
we imagine these particles being in a probability cloud and the act of observance causes the particles to end up in a certain place so out of all these different probabilities all these different positions and speeds that we can observe these particles to be in it's going to end up in this one place because of the act of observance that's what basically the uncertainty principle um and quantum mechanics that's what quantum me mechanics is about and perhaps perhaps it can be argued that you know the big bang could the reason the reason for occurring could have been some type of quantum changes in before you know in a dense in that state as dense as that we imagine particles just being protons and neutrons just areas of charge here and there they're not they're not they're not four particles you know they're not they can't even form atoms they can't form elements they can't do anything at such a dense state so perhaps some type of quantum i get what what they're saying however one we don't actually know enough about quantum mechanics to actually it, it's like this in a area of science so uncertain you can't create a theory so certain and secondly it's difficult to incorporate the sort of particles popping in and out of existence when it comes to uh the big bang it's sort of difficult to like sort of apply that you get me mm, yeah no as in i agree like um when it comes to this you know particles popping in and out of existence i mean first of all like the was saying how do you know there's no cause behind that i mean just because you can't see it or observe it or i mean there's nothing to say that there isn't a cause right and to maybe we could discover this cause 10 years from now one year from now one month from now. i mean who knows right another thing is um you know even if that's the case right you still have to deal with the fact that there was nothing beforehand like so what so it's kind of difficult to explain but even if it's popping in and out of existence you have to explain why suddenly they remained in existence and then why they ex expanded right so that's again another problem and also the third thing i'd say is that again the idea of dependency okay even if there's no such thing as cause and effect and that's all nonsense the idea of dependency dependency still stands right though these particles are you know they're evidently dependent on something else they they can go in and out of existence they're not necessary for existence and therefore necessarily they have to depend on something else that's just how you know that by definition that's how it works right so it still doesn't actually yeah yeah, yeah so it, it can be argued that the these quantum interactions these sort of um, events that occur which require some type of observation yeah I guess the observa the observation event could be classified as an act of someone more sort of of a higher power. Possibly, you know. Possibly, I mean. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I could see it. I could see that being an argument of someone who may believe in God. Yeah, yeah. potentially, mm -hmm. potentially. Yeah. Um, you you've read it. Have you read anything else from like potential other atheists? Have any arguments you want to discuss? Um. No, the, a lot of the atheist arguments are mainly just trying to disprove the Bible verses and saying how you can't fit yeah. all the animals in the world on a stupid ark. Mm. <laughs> those kind of arguments, mm. and those yeah. are sort of the weaker ones. Like, why, why are you, why are you focusing on an ark? How the all the things like? Mm. I mean, it's, yeah, I think, that's a funny I think story, that, I guess. That, that, 
yeah, it divert that those kind of arguments sort of diverge from the from the theological and more about like the historical and all, all that sort of stuff. I think those ones kind of contest the nature of of a divine creator rather than its existence, like kind of like who's right sort of thing of humanity. That's what those arguments sort of show. And I think what the essence is of those arguments is probably to show that look, your idea of, of a creator is so convoluted and strange and, and foreign that how could such a thing even exist? Um, so I think that's that's where that's the kind of the root of those sort of arguments in terms of disproving a creator. So they, they try and point out the rational and unintuitiveness of a divine being um, from whatever narrative perspective you take, whether it's biblical or Islamic, etc. Um, they try and prove that in order to show that the creator is somehow irrational and then then somehow that leads on to it not existing, which isn't really a solid argument because proving that one perspective might be irrational does not lead to the idea that a god doesn't exist. It may lead to the idea that the, that certain concept of the god may be incorrect or or um, incomplete. Yeah, and it's classic stuff that we learn in RS is that the idea of a literal and metamor what's it called metaphorical interpretations. Yeah. And how you can take perhaps Noah's Ark is not a thing. God didn't actually flood the earth. It's a story that can perhaps allow a Christian to learn more about the nature of God or um, learn certain values that can help them be a better Christian or whatever. You know, ideas like that. For example, Hinduism have very, very interesting stories that may not seem plausible. You know, um, avatars of gods that have like a lion head or something. It sounds... It sounds quite you know improbable when it comes to nature any sort of atheist can pick it up like so you're telling me it's anatomically possible for yeah. a guy to have an elephant head or mm. like that's that's not what that's it doesn't yeah. matter if a guy has an elephant head or not it's 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 what the hindu learns from these kind of stories mm. and mm. the significance of the elephant head and things like this that add to the religion and make up the religion yeah i think not just yes yeah. uh, you just add to what you said yeah i think there is a distinction to be made between um, kind of the overall aims of religion and kind of humanity as a whole and kind of the, the mind independent truth, because uh, there, there can only be one sort of mind independent truth. Either there's one God, either there's multiple gods, either there's no God, etc. Only one of those can actually be right. But however, when we abstract that into how does that how is that going to affect our daily lives and how we behave? Um, the truth is that we're all on this earth. For like similar reasons to kind of kind of create positivity to create a better place for us to live in and that's kind of one thing that joins exactly. all religions together so not to disregard what the truth is yeah. entirely and to not have discussions and be like oh it doesn't matter what the truth is it can be both um but to sort of realize that regardless of what the truth actually is our joint goal is to create a better world as as humans as a collective um and then how to do that exactly. that's that's like the whole that's the human project um, how how we get that done exactly but yeah yeah that's that's like that's like one of the main things of just life isn't it you got you got to learn to work with people who you might disagree yeah. with on a fundamental level um yeah 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 what do you think Omar? no i agree i mean really just summarized it well I've, i don't think i've got anything else to say with that as like what hamza was saying um summarized it yeah. perfectly to be honest uh you know obviously there's it's why disputes over religion are the most stupid thing because every single religion is built upon certain simple very limited number of core beliefs and a certain way of life that 
aims for them to be better people and for them to create a better world. And from this, as more complexities add on, they start to differ, right? Um, you start to get different cultures, different practices, different beliefs. But if you boil it all down to the key beliefs, right? Boil it all down to what the crux of each religion is. The amount of similarities that you find is so crazy that it almost seems like we we tend to dispute on the differences so much that we don't realize how much of yeah, it yeah. is similar and we must celebrate the similarities more than beef about the difficulties yeah, you get yeah, me yeah yeah mm. no, I, agree. I agree you know i agree 100% but i think um even though that is the case i think you know it's important to try and have these discussions like we're yeah. doing now um you know to see what you know what's the fundamental truth as as was recorded but but no, I, I agree. Every religion, I mean, has similar principles, you know, similar, for example, guidelines. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, fundamental difference between, you know, whether you believe in one God or no God or multiple or whatever it may be, right? So, but yeah, no, definitely I agree with what you're saying as a whole. Yeah, 100%. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And of course, atheists are probably going to be looking at this video like, I'm not convinced. Yeah. So... What other arguments have we got for them? Um, in terms of proving that a creator exists or... A creator or, yeah, an eternal power exists. Because, oh my, I know you have like a ton of sort of arguments yeah. in your bag. Um, I mean, potentially. <laughs> let's let's see what Hamza has to say first and then maybe I can give one oh, argument. Right. One argument. Cool. Yeah. I mean, on. yeah, I guess I, I tend to use the, the, the cosmological argument sort of the idea of cause and effect that there must be um, a cause of the universe because everything we observe has a cause um, and to have an infinite series of causes would mean we have an infinite past which would be philosophically problematic um, therefore there can only be there has to be one necessary cause that is um, omnipotent because it would have to be um, in charge and manage over everything every aspect of existence um, and that, that's a, the the broad uh, broad brushstrokes of that argument, um, but yeah, that's how I would I would uh, go about it. But I think, yeah, in terms of in terms of uh, arguing with an atheist, I think the the argument you use or the way you phrase it really depends on who you're talking to and and what situation you're in. That's why I'm being quite general. Um, yeah, and I think mm. I think one thing that might be this is not really an argument for the existence of a creator, but one thing that might be important to emphasize is that um, like similar to how religions share that same goal, um, atheists too share that same goal of um, of trying to create a better world as a, as a general rule, at least. Um, and that's usually because of the innate dispositions of humans to sort of um, want to create uh, better things or to want to not have chaos, basically. Um, so maybe a better way to create unity would be to um, emphasize the fact that we share the same emotional palette. Every human shares the same emotional palette. We all live in this world, etc. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of the argument itself, proving the existence of the creator, uh, I'll, I'll let Omar go into specifics because I think he'll be better at this than I am. But um, yeah, yeah, I think it's difficult to just bring up arguments out of nowhere. Let's say we take a typical atheist and what they would mm. argue, like someone like Ben Shapiro or someone like mm. Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is, you know, he hates the idea of God, etc. So 
What would you say to that, Omar? Wait, What's his argument? Of, wait, okay, countering what argument? Which argument is my countering? Or am I proposing something? Uh, I don't know, are you familiar with what they say? Because <laughs> um, I know. I mean, main arguments, you know, include, you know, science versus religion, which is, again, I think something that's a myth. Um, I mean, for me personally, as a Muslim, uh, I don't see how, you know, science can potentially contradict religion. I mean, I think they're two separate studies or fields. Uh, you know, science deals with the how, religion attempts to deal with the why. Um, you know, they deal with different subject matters and, you know, people like Richard Dawkins try and use and weaponize, you know, signs like, oh, evolution and this and, um, which is, by the way, not something that we potentially don't believe in. I mean, there's no reason as to why not. Potentially entirely possible. Uh, and in fact, evolution is observed in the gut. I mean, it's just a fact, essentially. But what he attempts to do is conflate stuff like evolution and, and the theories of evolution. So he chooses particular theories Right, so particular ways of which ha so evolution is, you know, biological change over time, and there are different ways as to how people have explained how that happens. So one of which was Darwin, and he attempts to use Darwin's explanation as the the true all finding explanation or or ex explanatory way, when there are plenty of other people who have come before and after him who have attempted to explain the same mechanism. I mean. That's again. That just shows the problem of using science as a as a truth finding mechanism. I mean, everyone has their own theory. How do you know your own theory is true, right? Um, even though yeah. we can see evolution, we can observe it, but you know the theory itself. How do you know it's true? Um, with regards to you know arguments, I mean, I, I tend to use if people really want to go down the philosophical kind of end of it, I tend to use one particular one, and it's not to do with cause and effect; it's to do with dependency. So I've use this term like kind of over and over again throughout this discussion uh, i think i just need to define what it is so dependency is just the idea that you you require something else in order to exist right so a tree depends on sunlight and the sun depends on i don't know the universal constants in order to exist and the universe depends on therefore something else so this argument that there are two types of existence or three types really mainly an impossible one so you know squared circles as you know, they can never exist. These things just don't exist, right? They're impossible. Uh, and then I would say, you know, there's something called a possible and a necessary existence. So this is these are the terms, again, that I've been using. I need to define. So a possible existence is just an ordinary thing, a dependent thing, right? It needs something else in order to exist. A T-shirt, for example. Uh, could be black, could be grey, could be red. It needs something else in order to exist. Someone has to have made it. And that person that made it requires something else, and so on, right? And you have necessary, which is the idea that it's independent. It doesn't need anything else in order to exist, right? It's always existed, right? That's It's opposite to the possible. So the possible doesn't always have to exist and it requires something else. And necessary always existed uh, and doesn't need anything else in order to exist, right? Um, so the argument is simple, right? So how can there be only a chain of possible existences? Do you get what I'm trying to say, Dinesh? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. how can it's another regression? Yeah, exactly. So if there's only possible existences, you just have an infinite chain of dependency, which is impossible. It's an infinite regress fallacy, right? You're um, depending on something forever, so there wouldn't any, well, there wouldn't be any existence in the first place. So it's necessary to put in an independent existence somewhere down the line. I don't know. I'm not claiming to know where that thing is, but I'm just saying that that thing is there to stop the you know, the, the fallacy from happening. Um, and then, of course, you get down to the properties of that thing. So if it's independent, it's always existed, you know, therefore it's eternal. Um, 
it, it, everything depends upon it, and yet every you know it depends upon nothing because it's just there. Like if you imagine, like the analogy I like to use is the pool, right? There's a pool analogy. So you standing outside the pool, you can see the water is level, right? But uh, that means you know that somewhere there is going to be a floor, right? Otherwise, the water wouldn't be level; it just keep sinking, right? So that's similar kind of analogy to think about it like that. Um, so that's what I would use, yeah. obviously. And the whole discussion is if they've accepted that, then you go into the the properties, and it'll, it takes quite a bit of time. But uh, mm. yeah, so let's go into the properties. Okay, yeah. So first, what I wanted to ask um, was, uh, what do you think? Because when we think of God, we imagine them as a person. Almost, we always have an idea. You know, humans have always thought of God as human sort of features of a human almost and we always go back to imagining them as having a head and two arms two legs and so on i i don't know why we initially went to that for example in hinduism we have we have pictures and deities and stuff and the reason why they exist is because they're symbolic of certain features of god for us to sort of imagine so it's not like it's blasphemous for us to imagine um god being limited to like a human form that oh gosh that's it's not what it is it's about what that is you know it's all about symbolism representation and stuff but islam uh you, you know you're not supposed to have deities and stuff and yeah yeah islam sort of sorry sorry islam yeah, on, sort of yeah. takes a like a, a strong stance against uh what we call idolatry um and as to the reasons um i think it's due to the fact that um it's reductive in a sense that God is not like any of these things that are human that we experience because he's unique um, and he's um, independent of everything. And to be symbolized by anything physical would be to take away from the fact that he is independent of anything. I think that's a simple reason why um, Islam is against um, idolatry. Yeah. And I, I get your symbolic aspect because having symbols um, can help someone connect. Um, yeah. Plus the... Yeah, yeah, but, so, yeah go on. Sorry, the... So, so the ideas of God also differ slightly. I think that's the reason why um, Islam doesn't have um, idols, but in, in Hinduism does, because the Hindu God, we sort of imagine it mm. as a eternal soul. So we imagine everything being part of an eternal soul. So it's, it's a very complicated, it's a bit harder to explain what God is in, when it comes to Hinduism yeah. and other religions. But due to that sort of idea of God, <laughs> yeah. it allows... Uh, make sense for us to use deities sort of imagine these different things in the natural world to be different parts of god and so on so this due to that distinction mm -hmm. i think is why hinduism has you know idols and islam doesn't but I, that's not something yeah, yeah. To, to dwell on but i think yeah, yeah that's quite interesting the idea of distinguishing different aspects of god through symbolism um because interestingly enough uh islam is a similar thing not through symbolism um but through names in which different aspects of god is represented um so there's a thing in islam called the 99 names of allah so allah has a distinct set of 99 names um each of which emphasize a different characteristic of god um and these names are literally just written words and that there's no physical representation but i think um that serves that same purpose of um being representative of different characteristics of god without conflating it with um, physical things and things that are limited and uh, trapped so here we can see two religions both trying to express the same aspect with slightly different nuances in in how it's kind of approached um so yeah what do you think of that having names instead of physical things to both reduce the idea of limitations 
whilst also maintaining the fact that God can have different um, aspects if you want, if you were, if you must use that word. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird because the end result is the same thing. You know, mm. the end result is the exact same, and it's once again it comes down. It boils. It comes down to how we're all doing the same things, doing it in slightly different ways. You know. Mm. Omar, what do you think yeah. about the sort of um, yeah? About you know the names and and the the yeah the, the distinction of... between sort yeah. of names and using um, sort of for example L- L- Krishna. I have a painting of Krishna on my wall, and Krishna is sort of he has so many different. Um, he's done so much in myth- in Hindu mythology, Hindu stories, and as a avatar of Vishnu himself, that he has uh, sort of many. He has many arms. In pictures, you will see Hindu gods have many different arms, and they all hold something. And mm-hmm. it's not that all oh, these men are just walking around on Earth having like ten arms. Yeah. That's, that's it, you know, it's not that. It's just each arm yeah. holding something is symbolic or something else. You know, it mm-hmm. represents a different mm-hmm. story. And I see. Yeah, so- yeah. I can see the 99 names of Allah being the same, sort of achieving the same thing, you know? Yeah, because um, what I was going to say is, like, for us, God is something that one can't really, like, imagine or picture. It's unlike anything that you see in existence. So for us, uh, I mean, this is just our point of view. We, we say that, you know, trying to depict him is sort of trying... It's quite, kind of limiting, as Hamza's touched upon. It's, it's kind of... Um, you're essentially limiting his power and his infinite kind of nature. And so doing that is not something that we do, right? So, I mean, potentially I can see, you know, both sides. But yeah, uh, I think they both do achieve the same goal. But like I said, you know, for us, it's just the idea that we can't imagine him just because it's a being that's just so unlike anything that we've ever seen or could potentially imagine that names for I us think, so i think I sorry go on. yeah yeah go ahead yeah so yeah yeah i was gonna say i think i think the main reason why this idea of not depicting god exists in islam is so that um we don't get this idea of the middleman or the the intermediary so essentially what i'm saying is that what, what it's saying what islam is saying sorry is that um that Every human being has an intrinsic connection to this ultimate divine being and it's a personal intrinsic connection that is not interfered with by anything. No, no, there's no, there's no symbol. There's nothing in the way of them connecting to this sort of divine being. Um, so the reason why that idea is so paramount is because, um, first of all, I guess it emphasizes the individuality of everyone because there's one, there's a contemporary fear that, or maybe not even contemporary, just a fear that humans have of being sort of lost in the world in a sense that um, we have no purpose or we have no, we don't, we don't belong in any place. Even when we're with other people, we kind of feel this idea of isolation and solipsism, solipsism being the idea that you can only know what's in your own mind. Um, so the remedy to that, in my opinion, my humble opinion, is that um, identifying the fact that we all have this personal connection with a divine creator or divine being or even if you're atheist we all have a personal connection to a spiritual aspect of our own being um and i think acknowledging that without having any intermediary anything in in the middle of it um is very important just because it emphasizes emphasizes the fact that that we're not alone actually and the truth is that there is some something out there whatever you believe it is 
there is something out there that is kind of looking out for you in that sense. Yeah. Um, and just to add to what Hamza was saying, um, actually, you know, when Hamza is describing, there's a connection between, you know, um, God and, and man, right? In Islam, we call that the fitrah. And actually, there is something uh, that can prove or not, or try to prove. There is some sort of a proof for it. Uh, if you actually Google um, Justin Barrett, uh, he's a researcher. Um, uh, and he did a, a research project kind of with Oxford University. I'm pretty sure it was over a three year period. And essentially, he did find that there was an innate predisposition to, to believing in God. So children, essentially, who weren't exposed to this idea of religion, had an innate belief in some sort of supernatural creator, whether you want to call that God or whatever you want to call it, really. So I think that's just an interesting kind of thing you can read about if you want to. So it's but, almost uh, intuitive. Yeah, so it's like it's kind of um, instinctual, right, or mm. um, just inbuilt, right? Mm. So yeah, Justin Barrett, if you want to Google him, it's nice. quite interesting. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah, mm. it's nice. But yeah, that's all I've got to say really about that. Mm. Um, I yeah. something that rang a bell with me when um, Hamza was saying, you know, how ever, um, how each human, each basically everything is has some type of connection to God, that some spiritual sort of Hard and being connected to God and stuff. That idea, there's always something in every single religion that you observe that sort of portrays this idea. Um, yeah. I don't know those about Islam myself, but for Christianity, um, there's the Holy Spirit. I think uh, can be seen as the idea of that um, connection um, between mm. the human and the God. In Hinduism, which I know a little bit more about, is we, mm. by definition, we sort of all imagine ourselves our souls being part of the Paramatmas, our souls, um, they're all sort of part of the, a larger eternal soul. It's difficult to explain in English, um, yeah. Yeah. English, but it's that connection, that sort of um, spiritual connection. You observe it in so many different ways in religion. It goes back like to sort of appreciating the, the similarities between all these different religions. Mm. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree, to be honest. Um, I don't, you know, that's, I think, something up perfectly for me, anyway. Yeah. What about you, Hansa? What do you think? Um, yeah, because I think we all keep, we keep coming back to this point of, like, uh, unity, um, and that everyone's sort of a shared common goal. So I think that's definitely something to, to, um, to focus on. Um, I guess, yeah, the more, the more, like, heated face of this argument, I guess, or I guess I can think of two, two more like uh, controversial more one that sort of gets the emotions of people going is is like what is that mind independent truth and then secondly what is the impact of religion on the world objectively does it cause more benefit or does it cause more harm more tribalism more um, disunity um so it's those two things i think that stem from um sort of these spiritual beliefs that do cause a lot of um both theological and physical issues within the world in terms of people having conflicts with one another. Um, so maybe it might be interesting to go into, one of, go into those. So let's start with um, the idea of, of religion being a negative impact on the world. So what do you guys think of that? Um, just in terms of what person who would disagree with me and say a religion is negative, what kind of things would they say or bring up in, or, in order to support that sort of argument? Um, so I think the main arguments are really like religion is used to control the masses. I'm sure you've heard this a lot, um, which is true to an extent. I would argue it is true to an extent, but does that mean is that is the action of individuals 
trying to manipulate religion or is it the religion itself? I mean, that's a, that's where you have to make that distinction, right? So, for example, um, any anything really, it could be applied to anyone and anything who's doing something in the name of religion. Does that religion truly teach what they are doing, whether that be you know terrorism or anything, or is it the person? I think that's uh, an important distinction to make. Um, other arguments include, you know, that religion has um, kind of taken us backwards or, you know, inhibited scientific development. Um, that's just another common argument that's really, really used among atheists. I mean, again, um, is that really true? I mean, if you look at, for example, I'm just, since we're on the topic of Islam, uh, look at the Islamic Golden Age. Look at, you know, people like Ibn Sina. Look at people like Ibn Rushd, um, you know, Al-Ghazali, guys that are not only polymaths, but, you know, Someone like Ibn Sina, his textbook, his medical like encyclopedia, as he called it, um, it was used by the Europeans up till the 18th century, 19th century. So, I mean, is it really fair to, to make such arguments? I mean, these are just like common arguments. That I would say they're just emotional, um, whether that be because you've been directly affected or um, simply just latching on to a generalization. I think that's the more, more common thing, like theme. But really, they don't. I think they they're more on the weaker side of the arguments, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Dinesh? Yeah, I agree definitely. And I'm also thinking, um, in terms of disputes between different religions, um, and how one can argue against religions and the effect that it has on the world, is because you could a person may say that oh, because of the varying beliefs that humans have this naturally causes different people of different beliefs to sort of argue and it's within human nature for certain disputes conflicts to occur and that the existence of these religions are the root of these types of conflicts being occur of occurring and stuff but the my idea how i interpret that is that one, you know, as I said earlier, the similarities are not being celebrated. Secondly, it's never been a part of religion to in sort to sort of dismiss or ha have to sort of conflict with other types of beliefs. That was never any any part of religion. That was never it was never a thing. You know, it's something that's evolved into human nature. Um, oh, this guy's different. Oh, it's probably evil he doesn't believe in what i believe let's burn this man that's, alive you know that's yeah, yeah i get what you mean that's quite an interesting idea though because um in the quran it does actually talk about conflict and stuff and i think it's important to note that whilst religions don't um don't propagate violence and they don't want they don't want the overall sort of um, end goal is not to have a violent society a chaotic society to have a peaceful one um, I think it's still important to acknowledge the role of violence and um, and um, also like when violence has has to become part of, part of the situation because the sad thing is that violence is actually a part of our world. It's not something we can completely eradicate because people make mistakes. People are people are naturally emotional. Emotions lead to sort of conflict and etc. So um, the core of a religion can and oftentimes is about the unity um but i guess it's it's kind of like you don't want to forget about the fact that violence still exists and violence is still a thing that you have to manage um 
yeah. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Because I like we that can't, idea. I love like, ignore. Yeah, yeah. Because like um, yeah, go on. The importance of violence. For example, in Hinduism, we have the Mahabharata is an epic. It's a Hindu. It's lo- it's the longest poem probably in history, um, mm. and it's a it's an epic. I believe. I, I mean, I think it's like the best story ever written. In my opinion, it's so amazing. Yeah. Uh, of course, that's partly just patriotism, but. Yeah. <laughs> there is a massive war, the Kurukshetra war at the end. War, of course, is violence. In the Ramayana, for example, my guy Ram shoots an arrow at Ravan yeah, yeah. and kills him. You know, it's violence. But they're meant to represent something, obviously. You know, there is an idea that, you know, you learn from some types of violence. Um, as much as there is, you know, Ahimsa is so big in Hinduism. Even people may observe it as being ironic that there are certain wars that exist in Hinduism. It's not that these wars mean that, oh, Hinduism is a violent religion. It's that wars reflecting of human nature. There's something to learn out of them. They, they're meant to mean something, you know? Yeah, a funny little example that you just reminded me of is like uh, in the video game uh, God of War. Oh, you yeah. You guys played it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a, bit, there's a bit where it's like he talks about the the reason why this they're talking about some other god and the reason like the reason why he was the god of war was because he was able to manage everyone peacefully so that he could control whenever a war happened and I thought that was a very interesting subversion that war and peace come hand in hand and if you yeah. control one then you you actually control the other and they can't really be separated so if you're in control of peace then ironically you're also in control of war and if you're in control of war then ironically you're also in control of peace because they're two kind of opposite sides exactly, of the coin yeah like one one is a last resort of the other so that is really war is interesting like, yeah yeah so so war being a very ultimate you know last resort you know like you want to maintain peace 99 percent of the time but like Hamza was saying you know you're in control so if you manage to lose control you resort to that one percent which is mm-hmm. war unfortunately which is just a sad reality and, yeah and, and the very interesting thing actually is that people who um, attack religion on this front of saying that it's violent, yeah. it's, it's warlike. Um, I, I'm speaking particularly from the context of Islam, as it's something that's very prominent today as well. Um, ironically, both the people who, who are against Islam and say that it's it's all about war and they yeah, cherry and pick the, the yeah, ayahs, they, they exactly. ironically they take the same position as the people who, as the who are, who are yeah. ignorant. Yeah, who are ignorant 100%. and also to, they also cherry pick those ayahs and use them to to, to justify, justify their yeah. violence mm. from their perspective. So it's like. You have these two extremes which are so opposed to one another, and yet ironically they're agreeing with each other on their interpretation of Islam. And it's so it's so strange to get your head around because they're both wrong in the, in the, at the end of the day. They're both like sort of taking a narrow-minded view of what uh, constitutes religion, which and they sort of negate the ho- holistic sort of interpretation. Yeah, just of, a plethora of yeah. like misinterpretation. You know, putting in your own agenda behind like the mix. You know, and yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, yeah, I was, yeah, was going to talk about um, how that idea links to critical thinking. Um, critical thinking is something that um, I'm sure we all have, uh, but it's, it's something that is um, can be sort of shunned in particular aspects. So I'm going to talk specifically from an Islamic perspective because that's what I know. Um, but there is a sort of culture within Islam where um, critical thinking is withheld um, and sort of contained within the ivory tower of um, scholarships and scholars of the past. Um, and I think we need to break that s- stigma of the idea that people can, who only people who are at the top of the, or the most intellectual can even begin to attempt to interpret 
um, the Quran and Hadith. Um, and I think that needs to be challenged because at the end of the day, we're all critical thinkers. I, I think we can agree that most people in this group right now, well, okay, everyone here is a critical <laughs> thinker. Um, so yeah, I was like, I was like gearing myself up to cuss someone. I would not be very nice. Um, I'm saying that, okay, I'm, I'm going to say that everyone in our school, let's say, for example, I would, I would argue is either A, a critical thinker or B, on their way to becoming a critical thinker. Um, and that to be able to release that potential is something that we have to acknowledge before we can even try to begin that sort of journey of critical thinking. Um, and I think one, just to wrap this up, one issue that um, people see with religions is that it's destructive towards critical thinking. And yeah, that actually has been so. the case in the past, especially with, um, if you take into account um, the Christian empire, um, the, the, the sort of, uh, what's the word, the clergy? Yeah, that sort of was destructive towards critical thinking because what it did was it restricted the access to materials, uh, uh, to religious materials and to education to only a certain select group of people who could then dictate what is being, what, um, what opinions are being like sort of promoted. Um, and that's something that we have to sort of work against, especially in our contemporary age where misinformation is just sort of rife. That's really interesting because it's an idea, it's really, it's like this. I want to take the golden age of mathematics in the context of Islam, as well as sort of the birth of the Vedas and stuff in terms of Hinduism. So the first Veda of Hinduism, it focuses a lot on universal truth and um, ideas of finding what the meaning of life is. What are you, you know, they're very, they wanted to solve everything right from the beginning. Um, the smart, the smartest people, the smartest Hindus. Uh, yeah. Four thousand years ago, so when the Vedas came into existence, and this um, sort of stimulated it, brought up sort of ideas of mathematics being born. We have uh, astrology, astronomy uh, being incorporated into a Hindu Ayurveda, for example, medicine. You know, all of this. I want to think that all came from the idea of critical thinking promoted by you know the initial. Uh, it is in the context of Hinduism for the initial sort of thirst for knowledge and the, the the ability to think and islam for example plays such a massive role in accelerating the advancements of mathematics um over the golden age. i don't know loads about the golden age of mathematics myself but i know islam has a lot to do with it and mm. this idea of critical think thinking is sort of opposing the idea that it obstructs sort of advancement of knowledge because what it did is accelerate human knowledge and advancement of human civilization it it, it literally mm. began mm. intelligent civilization is what i'd like to think yeah 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 no no definitely i mean um that's 100 percent true and with regards to you know like what Hamza was saying you know people attack religion on the front of um you know is is trying to inhibit or religion is trying to inhibit critical thinking and that you know that it also is down to the same you know concept of all religions used to control the masses. I mean, to an extent, like I was saying, it is kind of true. I mean, it's seen across all religions, not just Christianity or Hinduism or Islam. I mean, all across um, all different worldviews. But actually, I think sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah. I think I'm going a step further. Not 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 just um, isolate religions in this example. I think it's seen across all power. Exactly, exactly. That's what I was gonna. Yeah, so even so, if you, yeah, yeah. Like, you can go there. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, so I was gonna say, yeah, like this is seen not just across religion, but actually just in general. 
across empires, across um, you know just powerful nations, you know ideas of censorship, and I mean these these things aren't limited or restricted; they're universal. Um, and so you know I think it's kind of unfair to pinpoint religion and say yeah this is what this is the work of religion um, when it's just in my opinion people using religion to manipulate others and that's just I think what I that's what I think yeah cool yeah. so yeah that concludes this episode so thank you to Hamza and thank you to Omar for featuring in this yeah thank you exactly thank you for having us so that's it <laughs> we'll just stop recording now Thank you.